You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Hope you are doing well today. Um, hey, we, we started a, a new series last week called Under My Roof. Um, we finished up a Proverbs series, and we, we talked about this idea that um, we, we live in a world of chaos. Like, we do. There, there, is a, there is a systematic, or systemic, rather, uh, lack of peace um, in people's lives. Um, there is a, there, there's so many things that weigh us down. And so what we're doing is looking through this series is we're looking at, um, this is it's kind of one of those series where we're going to be talking about marriage and parenting and finances and, and rhythms and, and, and priorities in our life, but with the essence of how do we find God's peace? Because if we want God's peace, we have to do things God's ways. And so as we're unpacking that, um, what we're going to talk about today is, is honestly is one of the major sources of conflict within a family. Now, if you're like, hey, I don't have kids anymore, these are still principles. If you're like, I'm not married yet, these are still principles. No matter what stage in life you are in, uh, these are principles that we can apply to our life. And so uh, one of the leading causes divorce uh, is something we're actually going to talk about. Um, some would say that it's something, it's insignificant, it's small. Um, but we can't underestimate the power that it has. In fact, I saw this this week. There was a, they did tests. Apparently, there's tons of like space debris just floating around, just garbage, nuts, bolts, which I'm like, why did things lose nuts and bolts that are flying in space? They should retain those, you know? Um, but there's stuff that is flying all over space, and they're worried that when it collides with a, uh, with a satellite or a spaceship that something seriously wrong could happen. You're like, what? How like harmful could it be? So they did this test, actually. They, they shot something that was a plastic pellet about the size of, of an eraser. And they shot it at 15,000 miles per hour, which I want to know how they shot it because I want one. Um, but they shot it at a solid block of aluminum to demonstrate the, the speed of something just orbiting the earth and the thing going in a different direction. And a, an eraser-sized piece of plastic, this is what it did to a block of aluminum. You're like, that sounds awesome. Now I really want that thing. Um, just completely destroyed it. And my fear is that we can look at things from the wrong perspective and say, that's insignificant. That's not my problem. That's not the source of my lack of peace. When in reality, if we, if we actually lower defenses, we lower our walls, we actually take a look at it, we're like, you know what? Maybe it is. And I say that because today we're talking about money. You're like, here we go again, right? We're, we're talking about money because it's actually a really big deal. It's not something insignificant. Here, here's what, what gets me. Is, is the Bible talks a lot about money. Uh, there, there's Jesus, most of his parables have to deal with treasure. Uh, there's more verses about money than heaven and hell combined. Uh, a lot of people, we can trust God with our eternity, with our salvation. We can trust God with our marriage. We can trust God with our, with our kids. We, we can trust God with our career. We can trust God with our, with our past. We can trust God with all that. But when it comes to money, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's off limits. That's, that's my thing, right? It's my wallet. It's my wife's wallet mainly, but, you know, it's my wallet, right? But, like, we, why is it that we can trust God with our eternity? What happens when we die? 
But when it comes to our money, we're like, you're crossing the line. We, we have a very tight um, connection to that. Money, I would say, is the most unsurrendered area of a Christian's life. In fact, they, they've listed it, one of the hardest things to trust God with, and number one on the list is usually money. Why? Why, why is it that money has this connotation? Why is it, um, one, that it's so out of control? And until God is in control, things will continue to be. Um, it's where most people get tripped up. Jesus himself said that you can't serve two masters. You're able to love one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. There's this line in the sand. He said, there is a, when it comes to money, it is the ultimate like 1v1 for your heart. Like that's the thing that's gonna pull it. It's not gonna be you can't serve both God and, and Satan. It's he's saying, hey, you can't serve both God and money. Like there's a, there's a, there's a huge issue. And here's our starting premise for today is that money is either a stepping stone or a stumbling block. When, when you boil it down to, to our life, when it comes to how we handle our finances, when it comes to um, how we navigate dealing with money, for some people, it's either a stepping stone. We see it in the right perspective. It's a tool. It's something that God has given us. We, we use it and we leverage it to, to live, to worship, to advance God's kingdom. We, we use it in that way. It's a stepping stone. We, we see it in that way. Or it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes something that's a constant source of stress. Um, I saw updated debt numbers for this, uh, for the second quarter of 2023. The average household debt is $165,000. That's not counting mortgage. Household debt, the average American family, $165,000 in debt. That's a lot of payments. Uh, The average credit card loan per household is $14,000. The average automobile loan, $31,000 in debt. Student loans, $58,000, might as well be a million for some. Uh, and the average Morgan, Morgan, Morgan? mortgage is $202,000. Meaning if you, if you look at just a snapshot of, of American life, we live under pressure. We live with a massive amount of debt that is robbing from the peace that God intends us to live with. Recent study said that only 63% of Americans could actually pay for an unexpected $400 bill. Like if something happened and you had to fork out $400, only 63% of Americans could actually even do that. Meaning, meaning that like you're, you're, you're one small spare tire away from disaster. Because y'all look at tire prices lately, good gracious. Seeing that there is a massive problem. The average savings account uh, for the American family is $1,200. Um, wealth often brags about what it can do for us. Uh, but does it, it's like the infomercial. It doesn't talk about the fine print or the, the side effects of the drug that it's advertising on the commercial that's like 1,000 pages long. Money will brag about the, the peace that it can give us. Money will brag about what we can buy that's going to make our life better. Money will say, hey, if you have this, then you've made it. If you can, if you can afford this, if you can own the jet ski, that, that's when life is finally complete. If you can own the vacation house, 
that's when you can actually have peace and have rest. Money brags about what it can do for you, and so many people spend their lives chasing after more and more and more and more on this rat race of sacrificing time away from home and time away from family and doing whatever it takes to um, exhausting their bodies or emotions or relationship. Not because of wealth itself, but because of what wealth promises. And so we have to look at this from the right perspective. If stats say that Americans generally are not good with money, we're in debt up to our eyeballs, we're stressed, we're overwhelmed, then maybe we actually should say, hey, God is the author of everything. Maybe we should see what his word has to say about it. And so uh, if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Mark chapter 10. We're gonna uh, outline four basic principles from this, but I'm gonna be reading from the, um, the NIV this morning. So Mark chapter 10, and we're gonna start in verse 17. Now, it's a long passage, but we're gonna explain it a little bit um, as we go. All right, Mark, 17, or Mark 10, uh, verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. Because that wasn't a common phrase for them to call him good teacher. Good had this connotation of, of, of perfect, of, of, of God. And so he's, he's calling Jesus from this aspect of realizing that he is the son of God. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You shouldn't give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He's like, I've checked every one of those boxes. Like in the, in the way that the law was interpreted, he's saying, I've, I've done all of these things. So does that mean I'm in? Does that mean I, I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now talk about lying in the sand, right? Here, here's not a poor man, but a rich man. He's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, obviously, you know the commandments. He's like, I've done that. And he says, okay, then go and give all your money away. And, and I think some people, when, when we talk about money in church, their perspective is like, well, God just wants to me to live on a dirt floor or be a missionary overseas and not have anything. Or their perspective is the church just wants my money. And, and if you've been hurt by church, I apologize. My heart breaks for that. Let's keep going. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? The, the uh, belief was that prosperity and blessing were signs from God of God's blessing. So if you had money, it was a sign that you were blessed by God. God is the one who gave it to you. And so he's, Jesus is taking this thing, and in the kingdom, he flips everything on its end. He's saying, look, how hard is it for someone to enter the kingdom of God who has great wealth? And they're like, well, wait, wait. it's usually a sign that someone's in right standing with God. <laughs> what do you mean? He goes on. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, he says, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. You're like a hundred children. I don't know. That's kind of, all right. Um, And in this age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus is not saying that rich people, people who have wealth, don't get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. He uses this this, um, kind of humorous illustration to say, hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, the the largest kind of animal in that region going through the smallest thing. It's not this like fact of it's impossible. He's he's saying it's it's easier that way. He's using humor in this. He's saying because... Right? If anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, pick up the cross, and follow me. Because there, there is such a tight connection between our, our heart's attachment to our wealth. And he's saying that like your, your heart is divided. He even tells them what to do, and the guy walks away sad because he has money. He's not willing to give it up. Now, there's also another... Um, People have tried to explain what this is. Is Jesus saying that it's impossible? Is he using humor? Is there other, is other uh, ways to look at this passage? And one that I find interesting that, that may be a stretch, but I think it's worth noting, um, is, is one way of, of looking at this is, is talking about a camel. And now you would go to a city, and there'd be large gates. Uh, but large gates can enter, you can allow a lot of people to come in at one time. But usually when you would go to a a town or a city that was fortified in the evening or at night, they wouldn't just open up the broad gate for one person to walk in. There was smaller gates, there was narrow gates, there were smaller doors in which they would open. And now one one belief is they're talking about, you know, you think about a, a camel that's loaded down with bags, with possessions, with stuff, and they're coming into the city. The camel loaded down couldn't fit through this small opening. You would actually have to get off the camel. You would have to unpack all the bags. The camel would have to kind of crouch down in order to crawl through this doorway, getting into this city or this kingdom. And what I find relevant in in that understanding or that um, explanation, whether it's true or not, is that when you surrender your life to Jesus... We all come with lots and lots and some even more baggage, right? We, we come with our old ways. We come with our old habits. Because when, when we get saved, it's not just like, I mean, yes, everything changes in a minute. But we, it's not just our, our eternity and, and our soul that's saved. It changes everything. It changes how we interact with people. It changes how we work at our job. It, it, it changes our friends. It changes everything about us. And the, the hardest part in that change is that we've been doing life a certain way. And when we come into the kingdom, Jesus is saying, hey, when you like, operate in the ways of the kingdom, you can't just bring in all your old baggage. You can't just 
bring in your, your, your money habits for the past 17 years into the kingdom and expect it's going to work out. You, you can't just bring your perception of, of how you uh, look at marriage or friendships, and you can't just bring all of those bad habits that were established on shaky ground and apply those in the kingdom. He said there, there has to be a, a change that has to take place. And I think the rub is, is that we, we try to apply the world's principles to our finances. And God's saying it's, a, it's an upside down way of doing things. And that's where we experience hardship. That's where we experience the, the friction, the rub. That's where it's difficult. So I'm going to take four principles from this. Um, and then we'll stop talking today. So first principle when it comes to finances, God's way. First one is stewardship. Stewardship. I know we, we use this word in church a lot um, because it has so much connotation that the idea of a steward um, was someone who would manage property and possessions for someone else. You owned a castle. Um, you didn't do the weed eating yourself, right? You, you had people that would take care of that for you. You didn't, you know, pay every single servant that you employed and say, what time did you get here today? Uh, you, you didn't manage. You had someone that managed your affairs for you. Uh, and that position was called a steward. So they ran the, the operations of the household. They, they took care of all the duties. They oversaw everything. But at the end of the day, none of it belonged to the steward. It all belonged to the owner. And so when we talk about finances, when we talk about our money, our possessions, we have to talk about it from the perspective of a steward. Everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that I have, if we look at this from the proper perspective, does not belong to you and I. It belongs to God. And, and, and I say this because this is the starting point, is, is that we can't catch the other principles, we can't apply the other things, if at the end of the day that we are convinced that we are our provider. If, if, if I believe that everything is mine and I hold on to it with tight fists and white-knuckled grip, that this is mine, I earned it, I worked for it. Yes, you worked hard, but... God also gave you the ability to work. God also gave us the breath in our lungs to be able to speak, to be able to have a job. Everything is God's. And so if, like, this is the starting point from, from surrender, uh, of surrender. And, and we can't look at our finances, our money, in the right lens if we think that we own it. But the perspective has to be that God is the one who provides that God is the one who gives, that God is the one who, um, who provides adequately for his children. Um, we'll always struggle with enough or struggle with the consumption for more and more and more until we get it. So uh, one, uh, we have to recognize that God is the owner uh, in this. Two is, is, is we tithe. Um, tithing is a, is a biblical principle from Old Testament to New Testament. It's, it's this idea that I have been given so much by God that I, out of an act of obedience, out of an act of worship, out of an act of recognizing that God is my provider, I give back my first 10% to the Lord. And we do that in the New Testament through, through the church. Uh, but it's that act of, it, it's not a tip for God. It's, it's, a, it's an act of God you have given me and you ask for 10% back as a recognition that you're, you're, you're the one who provides to me. I'd gladly do that. And then we steward and manage the rest. We, we often talk about the, the 10, 10, 80 um, minimum kind of, we, we, we tithe 10%, we save 10%, and we live on 80. 
Now, here's what you need to So Joe and I don't get a bonus if there's a, if there's a good week of tithes, okay? Um, there, there's not a, uh, an incentive uh, that, that I have in, in, in talking about money. In fact, we, we rarely actually even talk about money. Um, and I, I, I waited for, for a while before. I, I have no problem talking about money. I enjoy talking about money. But so many people have been hurt because their either perspective has been that the church is just after my money. This has nothing to do with the church and has everything to do with you. This is not God wanting something from you. This is God wanting something for you. Because if we think that God needs our tithe check in order to continue to be God, then we have looked at God incorrectly. God, God owns everything. God, God created life. And for us to, to, well, the church just needs, needs my check is, is small-minded thinking, and we have, to, we have to break free from that. God allows us to partner with what he's doing. God allows us to give back because he's richly give, given to us. And so, like, there, there's no motive in me, like, pushing tithing. I, my, my only motive in this is I, I've seen what God has done in my life through the practice and the obedience of tithing, and I wouldn't do it any other way. Like, there, there's no motive for me in this. It's, it's for you. It's like you could say, hey, Matt, I've got some Clemson tickets for you. Like, could you do this? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want them, right? I'm a Gamecock, so get over it, right? There's, there's no, like, incentive for me in this. All right. Let's talk about last year, okay? No, I, like, there's... So, like, you, you can't say that I'm... Jade. We don't even pass the plate here. We have a box at the door because it's between you and the Lord, now, we're going to encourage you to be faithful. We're going to encourage you to be obedient because we're interested in your walk with Jesus. Not in, in, in your participation in the ministry. We want you to be a part. We want you to give. We want you to invest. We want you to be generous. But you have to hear our heart from this. This is not an agenda. This is not some man-made thing. This is helping you have peace. And there won't be peace when it comes to finances unless there's a recognition that God is provider. And if I recognize that he is provider, then the first thing he tells me to do is to give back 10%. And everything else gets fleshed out from there afterwards. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, for some people, I'm gonna say a cuss word right now. It's the word budget. He's like, ooh, why did I come to church today? The, the managing, the, the stewarding part, the steward was responsible to give an account of how he managed um, the owner of the, the estate, the owner of the properties, things. And if we, if we look at this as that we are stewards, that means that we have to be diligent. We have to work hard. It's not just, oh, God's provider, and so I can sit on the couch eating potato chips and do nothing. No, like God gave you the ability to work, so work. We gotta do things. We have to manage it. And for some people, it's it's telling your money what to do. It's called a budget. We create a budget. I'm not saying legalistic in a way, but, but knowing where your money goes, knowing how it's spent, knowing where it's allocated, knowing what's a priority in your life. Because you're like, I, I don't have money to give. It's, it's not the last 10%, it's the first 10%. It takes faith to tithe the 10% first, not to say, oh, I've got this left over. Let me give some to the Lord. Let me give some to the church. It, take, it requires faith in giving the first 10%. Uh, I'll throw a resource at you. There's a website called, or a company called Mint. They're like the same company that owns like TurboTax and all that kind of stuff. It's a free budgeting software. 
you put in your, it like you merge it with your bank account, you can go and you can allocate every single payment to what you spend it on. You can look at spending year to date. You can, you can track stuff. It's, it's a great resource if you're looking to where to start it. Maybe for some of you, it's like graph paper and a pencil. Like go old school, but write a budget. For some, it's a cash envelope system. It's like, hey, I need a, I'm gonna allocate every month. I'm gonna get paid. I'm gonna cash it out. Some people's places don't even take cash anymore. But you put cash in envelopes, and when you're done spending that money, you, you, you're done spending that money. And you wait till next month. But whatever it is, if, if you feel like things are out of control, in order to manage properly, you have to regain control. Control of where it's going, how it's being spent. Um, I mean, what's, what's absolutely crazy in this is nowhere else do we see this in Scripture, but in Malachi, when it comes to the tithe, God says, test me in this. Like, that's... That's mind-boggling. That the God of the universe like, challenges us and says, test me in this. Like, it's an invitation. He's saying, trust me. I am a good provider. I, now, it doesn't mean that, hey, today you start, uh, you're like, hey, I, I, this, this area's been out of alignment with God's ways. I'm gonna start tithing. And, and tomorrow morning, like, your finances are completely 100% better. Please don't, don't, don't assume that fallacy. These are principles that we have to apply. And God is saying, hey, test me in this and see if there's not blessing in doing things my way. Because we can have 100% on our own or we can have 90% with God's blessing. All right. It's kind of like this. It's like if you have a company car, if you work for a company and they give you a car, you don't just get to decide that you want to take it off-roading, right? It's a, you know, it's a Honda Civic anyways. But like, It'd, it'd be pretty rude to, to talk to your boss and be like, how dare you tell me that I can't take this Honda Civic off-roading? Like, who do you think you are? They're like, I'm the one that gave you the car. It's, a, it's called a company car. Like, it's in the title of it. It's a company car. They gave it to you, and they say, this is how you can use it. Everything in my, um, in my purview, everything that, that every resource, every, every thing that's valuable, every opportunity that I have is given by God. And if I want God's blessing on it, if I want to be obedient with it, then I have to manage it the way that God says to manage it. Second principle is the principle of margin. Margin. Margin is easy to use, but it's really, really hard to give up. And here, I think where, um, because you're like, I've never had margin. Think back to when you like first graduated from high school, right? When you like $20 was like you were rolling in it, right? Remember your broke days, right? You, you had, the, as you got pay increases, um, every, every time you get a raise or every time money comes your way, it, it creates margin. Margin meaning more than what you had. Like your, your expenses were, were X and now you're given more money than X that's margin. The problem is we very quickly eat up margin. You're like, oh, now I can finally do it. Because if you're, if you're honest, we probably all have a list of things of like if we had an extra like $200 floating around, what we would already spend it on, right? The new subscription, uh, the, um, the new accessory, the new phone. Well, the phone, that's like a, you know, a tenth of a phone, let's be honest. Uh, uh, the new... Uh, 
golf club, the new whatever. Like we, we have it allocated and, and lined up so that as the margin comes, we're like, great, I can put this in. But what if, just think with me for a minute, what if we stopped assuming that when God gave us margin that it was for us? What if God was creating margin in our budget for us to be a blessing to other people? What if God created margin not for us to consume, but actually for us to utilize as a tool to do something with? Because it's, it's, it's really easy. I've never met someone, uh, maybe I just don't have rich enough friends, I've never met someone that's like, I don't know how to, what to do with all this money, right? If you, if you have that problem, come talk to us afterwards. We'll gladly pray for you, um, right? I've never met someone that's like, I just, everywhere I look, there's more money. I just can't get rid of it. There's just always, ugh, money. I just, get, you know, no, right? I've never met someone that says, I have so much, I have not, no idea what to do with. It's like those that have like the, the home garden, like towards the end of summer, you're like throwing tomatoes at your neighbors because you're like, I don't know what to do. If I see another squash or zucchini, I'm just gonna like, you know, throw it somewhere. But it's, everyone usually is, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. But you had enough before the increase and you had enough before the increase before that and you had enough at an increase. So the problem isn't what you need. The problem is we look at margin incorrectly. And we have to realize that sometimes God blesses us with margin so that we can do something with it. Ecclesiastes 5.10 from Solomon, who was really, really rich, said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, um, when it comes to wealth, from the perspective of Jesus, wealth is a, is a, is a test in two ways. One, it's, a, it's an acid test. It's, a, it's a, a pH test of our heart. Because for every 100 people that can survive through adversity, very many make it through prosperity. And so how we handle our finances, how we handle the margin that God has given us is a great indicator of the posture of our heart. Do we quickly consume it or do we ask the Lord, God, you have given me this increase. What is it you want me to do with it? Um, and the second thing we see is that it's a responsibility. Um, I, saw, I read this. It says, man will often be judged by two standards, how he got his possessions and how he spent them. You're saying that when it, when it comes to wealth, there, there's such a tie from our heart to our wallet that God isn't after our money. God's not after your stuff. He's after your heart. And he knows that where your treasure is, your heart is there also. And so he's, he's saying, if we just come to this with a proper perspective, everything will change. Um, our ability to maintain and to properly handle margin is tied directly to our contentment. Like, you know, the, the Philippians passage that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's, that's, not a, that's not a football verse. I know it's, that's a contentment verse. Paul's in prison. He's saying, I, I've, I've had plenty. I've had little. I've, I've, I've been naked. I've been clothed. I, I've, I've been everywhere in the extreme. He said, the, the secret, the secret sauce in all of it, the con I've learned to be content. I can do all things. I can be content in every situation through Christ who strengthens me. See, the contentment is, is, is trusting the Lord. Is God this, whatever my lot. 
I have exactly what, what I need. It's a posture of contentment. And the more that we are content, the more we're actually gonna see margin. We're gonna see margin created by things that we eliminate that we don't need. I mean, just go through your, what I love about this app too is it like tells you how many subscriptions that you have of like all the stuff. You're like, I thought I canceled that like six months ago. Nope, it's still charging you $19.99 every month. Like how, how many subscriptions do we just have? Now we're getting back to the point where we want cable again because it's like all this stuff was free. Well, not free, you get what I'm saying. But it was all in one. All right, the third principle is investment and generosity. Investment and generosity. As a steward in the, the parable of the talents uh, that, that Jesus taught on, like each, each one took what he had been entrusted, not given, but entrusted, and he took something and he, he worked with it. He, he invested it. He did something with it. And I, I tie these two together because I want us to see investment. Yes, there's an investment piece of like, hey, God has given you wealth. Manage it. Build wealth will it, with it to do things with it. Like that's, that's wisdom. That's, that's great. You should do those things. But also we have to look at generosity as investment as well. Not investment into a relationship like you owe me, but an investment into someone's walk with the Lord, into an investment of someone's impact for the kingdom. I, I remember clear as day, I, was a, I had just graduated from high school um, and I signed up to go on a mission trip. It was our church's first ever mission trip. And I was like, I was not one of those people. I was like, I don't even know how. Uh, my wife, we were dating at the time. She was going. Maybe that's why I was going. Uh, but I was like, we, no, we prayed about it. We, we knew this was what the Lord wanted. But like, as a, as a college kid, coming up with $1,000, like eons ago, that was a lot of money. And I was, I was stressed out of my mind of how I was going to raise this money. I asked everyone I possibly knew. Uh, but it came down to like a couple of weeks before, and I, and I was short money. And my brother had started a, a business and was becoming successful in it and working hard and diligent. And I remember he came to me and said, I want to pay for the rest of your trip. And I was like, I can't accept this, but I, I will because I want to go on this trip. But it was just that, that radical generosity. Like it did something in my heart. And if someone has ever been generous to you, whether it's been in a situation of need or ingratitude, it does something in you. And when we create margin, when we, when we don't allow the devourer to consume it, when we actually set it aside and keep it to be as margin and say, okay, God, what is it you want me to do with this? I'm not saying don't spend any money on yourself, but what I'm saying is we need to ask the Lord first. And if the Lord says, I want you to be generous with this, what's great is having things set aside to be generous with. Because if, follow this rationale, if, if, if every bit of margin that God sends our way, we consume, and then God lays it on your heart to be generous towards a cause, or generous towards a person, and you haven't created the margin, that's, that stinks, that hurts. Because your, your obedience in the moment is, is kind of like, I can't do that because of the decisions I made before. You want to live generously, then you have to create a budget that allows for generosity. You have to allow a, a way of life in which prevents it all from being consumed so that you can be generous. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
Proverbs 11 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, this isn't a, a, a conviction thing of like, give all your money away. If God puts it on your heart to give all your money away, then you know what you should do? You should give all your money away. You just need to do what the Lord asks you to do. Second Corinthians says that you shouldn't give out of, out of conviction or out of guilt, but you should freely give what God tells you to do because God loves a cheerful giver. So when it, when it comes to, to giving towards other people, when it comes to giving to a cause, when it comes to supporting a missionary, when it comes to adopting a kid overseas, when it, when it comes to um, you know, giving towards the church, our heartbeat is always, we just want you to be obedient. I never want someone to do something that, is, that goes against their convictions of what the Holy Spirit is telling them to do. The best thing that you and I can do is to be led by our convictions to the Lord. Same when it comes to generosity, when it comes to another. But here's what I do know. You will never look back at sponsoring a, a missionary or investing into someone or being generous. You're, you're never gonna look back and regret that money spent. You're never gonna look back and say, man, I wish that work in Nicaragua or in Honduras or in Bolivia didn't take place because I could add a PS6, you know, when it comes out. You always look back and say, that was the best thing that I could have done. Why? Because number four, reward. The fourth principle, reward. Now, hear me properly. This is, this is not give to get. God does say, test me in this and see if I don't bless you. But, but our posture when it comes to being obedient with our finances is not a reward-based system. If I do this, then I get back. Um, it is an obedience posture. And out of obedience, there's actually reward in that. Um, my kids, I kind of am too. I'm a sucker for like arcade games. Um, for everything, sometimes we'll go to like, for birthday or something, we'll go to like Dave and Buster's, one of those places, and they love to, to try to win all the tickets, which this is such a marketing strategy towards the bane of parents' existence, right? And so like you, you feed in all of this money to these, uh, to these games and they give you tickets. And now you don't have to have tickets, it's just a card you swipe. Um, and you spend like $100 playing 14 video games um, and they, you know, they get like 1,000 tickets and then the the kid's favorite thing to do is to finally go to the little, the little trinket shop and to try to spend their thousand tickets. And it takes like 45 minutes for them to make a decision on how many Smarties they're gonna get or Pixie Sticks or whatever they can get. But it's this like exchange and I'm just like, they, or they, they wanna buy something. I'm like, I could have taken a quarter of the money we just wasted, I mean spent, on our arcade games. It was, a, it was an adventure, it was fun. And I could have bought you guys these things, right? I, I could have paid for all of this in cash from our couch on Amazon, and it could have been shipped to our door, right? But there's fun in this, and so understanding this, but, but I was thinking about it, I was like, man, we look at it so much, like our, our wealth is like this collection and, and, and working hard, but at the end of the day, it's, it's Chuck E. Cheese coupons. It's tickets. One day, you and I will pass away. And we will stand before the Lord. And none of the wealth that we accumulated on earth is going to come with us. 
Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on, on earth, but tre treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. See, the, the, the real investment, the real reward is not just how we spend it here, it's how we store it up about how we, we invest into the kingdom. I mean, look at Jesus' last words in this. He says, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. My posture for us as a church, we wouldn't give out of guilt. We wouldn't give out of of anything like that, we wouldn't be manipulated. Our heart would be, God, when it comes to what you have entrusted me with, I, I'm on earth for, for a moment. It's like a vapor. Help me to manage it well, to provide for my family, to be generous towards other people, not so they look at me as a generous person, but they see the generous God that I serve. And God, my, may my effort not just be on accumulating things, but on storing up treasures in heaven that we invest into the work of the kingdom. So we stand before the Lord. We hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray with me today. Father, we thank you that you entrust us with resources and talents and abilities and money and opportunities. God, to be able to make a living here, to be able to provide for our family, to be able to, uh, to do the things that you allow us to do. But the whole posture of it comes from the mindset and from the attitude that you are our provider. And when we recognize that you're the one that gave it to us and you ask us to manage it well, it changes what we spend it on. It changes how, we, how we're motivated. It changes everything. And it does require faith. But your word says to test you in this. So Lord, if, if today, if, if we were to take a snapshot of our life of our finances and we constantly find chaos and worry and doubt we have to then ask ourselves do we managing what you've given us the way you tell us to manage it and if not god that you would give us the courage and the strength to correct things to cut out some excess to first and foremost honor you with our tithes to recognize you as our perfect provider, to trust your ways and your principles so that we can have the peace that your ways in the kingdom give us. We don't do it just for our own benefit, but God, to be a blessing to other people. And most importantly, to make an impact for your kingdom come. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, as always, our prayer team will be down front. We'd love to pray with you. I hope you have an awesome week. God bless you. Here. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.